Hey everyone, it's uh, David Barnett from davidcbarnett.com, the blog site, YouTube channel, iCloud, iTunes, Google Play, podcast, where I talk about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses. Today I'm joined with, by Jasmine Washington, uh, who is currently away in Brazil, um, visiting some friends down there. But uh, I got an email from Jasmine after I put out the video with Finn, where we talked about uh, worker co-ops and selling a business into a worker co-op conversion. And Jasmine reached out to me with some very interesting, a very interesting story, uh, because you used to work for um, an organiz a lending organization that that helps people convert businesses into worker co-ops. And what was really neat about your perspective and story, and the reason why I wanted to have you on, is that I don't get the opportunity to talk to a whole lot of lenders or, or, or people who work, you know, in lending organizations who had this. Um, your, your perspective is different because not only were you looking at being a, as a lender would look at a deal, but you were also kind of looking at it the way a buyer would look at it because you were trying to help analyze the business to make sure it was a good one and all that kind of stuff. So um, tell me a little bit about what your role was and, um, and then some of the stuff that you started to see that, that led you to want to reach out to me after you saw Finn on the show. Sure, sure. So, um, first of all, hi, David. Thank you for having me on. Um, this is unreal. I'm a huge fan of your videos and your content. So, um, yeah, just a little bit about my background. My background is in accounting and finance. Um, I started out as a, a hedge fund auditor and then moved into financial services, uh, doing internal audit. So looking at the operations of a business from end to end and, and asking ourselves the question like, is this functioning the way it should? And is it functioning in a way that's sustainable and helping us reach our objectives? So um, decided to make the leap into nonprofit to go work for a CDFI that does this lending for, um, for businesses that want to convert themselves to work for own cooperatives. And um, yeah, it was, it was a, I, I'm sure we'll get into it, but it was a, a very eye-opening experience and it really got me interested in how, um, you know, not large conglomerates work, but how local businesses function. And local businesses, businesses that have existed for 20 years and who, you know, folks who want to exit the business and, you know, kind of the things that need to be in place to make the exit, um, I guess more advantageous for the for the folks who are exiting and for the people who are purchasing so so when you started off what was your idea of how these deals were going to go down sure um so i my role at this organization was on the the financial due diligence team so i ran the due diligence um and that's to say you know once we signed an loi um, going in to review the books and records, to review the operations, and then just to say, you know, do the books and records make sense? And then um, I guess to borrow terms that I've heard from your videos, like, you know, parsing out what's the seller's discretionary earnings, mm -hmm. you know, kind of all of those pieces. Um, so that was my role. I think some of the stuff I started to see is that you have great businesses that have existed for a long time, but some of them have existed without contracts with suppliers, um, without written procedures about how the business could be run. And, you know, without having those kinds of things, it's kind of difficult to, one, make a lending decision um, if your books and records aren't in order. If we can't um, verify your, the things that are on your balance sheet, your income statement, then it's, it's, you know, we're having to really, it's hard to structure a lending product for that. So um, 
And then on the conversion side, when you're passing it along to someone else, you know, you, it's helpful to have procedures and things written down that you can give to a team. So what were you um, looking for businesses to convert or did you have like people, workers coming to you saying, Hey, we think that this business we work in might be a candidate. How, how did the deal sort of end up in front of you? Uh, got it. How did the deal? Um, so we, we had one point of contact on our team who would work with brokers in the markets where we uh, were functioning. And so he'd reach out to brokers to find out if there were um, business owners that wanted to sell. And, and, but then of course they had to have employees that were, they thought would be well, interested in this kind of conversion. Right? Correct. And so, so what did that look like? Did the, uh, did, did this person, let's call him the prospector, did he go out and meet the business sellers and then want to talk to the employees to see if they were interested in this kind of thing? Yes, that's correct. It, 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 my understanding of his role is that, um, you know, he would explain, you know, what our organization's focus was and, mm-hmm. um, you know, in, inquire with, and it, this would be with owners who have great relationships with their employees and, and kind of pitch to them what is a worker cooperative. And so by the time they got to us, you know, the employees were under the understanding uh, that the business would be transitioned to them, yes. Okay. And so, you know, the stuff that you're talking about, you know, like the lack of operations manuals, the lack of procedures, all this kind of thing, of course, very normal in in small business space, right? And, you know, it, it's it's funny because if you have all that stuff in place, usually then you're able to attract a much broader audience of buyers. And, and without that stuff in place, you basically have to find a normally you find a buyer who's just like the seller, right? right. Same kind of experience and all that kind of stuff. What what were some of the other issues? Just before the call, you had mentioned that you were finding businesses, and then you were finding that they really weren't what they were represented to be. This is another common complaint that I hear from people who are out looking at businesses for sale. Got it. Um, I guess if I could be more specific, one of the first businesses we were looking to convert was a, a print shop. They printed t-shirts, they printed, you know, just materials for folks in the local communities. And um, while I have no doubt that they have customers, when we went in to kind of review the books and records, there just was no, there was no, like they just had boxes of receipts. Um, and so there was no way to say, okay, well, you get cash by credit card, you receive cash, and then at the end of the week, you take that to the bank, and then you use this account to pay the bills, and then here's how it flows into your financials. Um, that was, if I had to simplify an issue, that was kind of one, of one that comes to mind. Does that answer your question? Well, so that business, for example, you couldn't say to them, produce a list of your top 20 clients that are growing. Correct. They just had no ability to understand what was going on in their business. Correct. That's correct. And, and what, what sort of, uh, I mean, I can understand the value in that as a business operator. What the, the people who are going to be buying the business or the people who worked there, were, were they comfortable with that scenario because this is what their experience was? Um, I, so I appreciate you asking that question. And I have to say, um, that is what was troubling to me is that, you know, the goodwill would be there between the employees and the, the selling owner. And so the employees were, they were thrilled to be taking over the operations, but I think um, sometimes maybe they didn't have a full appreciation 
for some of the issues that were kind of on the table at the time of conversion. So that's probably a growth area for anyone doing this, doing this work is, is making sure that, you know, I think the education has to be there because it's one thing to go from working at a place um, to running that place. Well, and this is, this is what I was thinking about after my conversation with Finn, because I, I have a friend who, who just had a little restaurant shop and, and it wasn't performing well. So he, he actually opted to close it. And I called him up and I asked him to watch the video. And then I said, do you think that your restaurant would have been a candidate for this kind of thing? Like a, a worker conversion. And he very quickly said, no. And I said, what, what makes you feel that way? And he said, well, you know, I was using 20 years of restaurant management experience to try to keep my costs under a certain threshold and keep my labor in a certain ratio. And I was looking at these numbers every week. And I don't think the people who were working for me would be able to have that kind of understanding and discipline. And he said, he basically said what I think would end up happening is they would end up, you know, working for less than I was paying them and, and they wouldn't be better off and it would just end up closing later. And so, so, so I can appreciate like how you would come to that point of view. Um, because the, the people who may be successful as employees aren't necessarily successful as entrepreneurs and owners. Right. Were there some deals that you did do that were, that were great stories? Um, I, I can't think of any in the time that I was there, unfortunately. And I, I, I say that, I say that not to maybe uh, cast a shadow of doom and gloom. I really do wish the best for this kind of, I wish the best for this piece of the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I can't, I can't say that there weren't any, and there are some, there are some deals that I worked on while I was there that are still kind of, uh, getting themselves off the ground, but I just, I can't point to any that are currently doing well. That edu- I think that core education has to be there. And I, I don't know if we have, um, service providers that are providing that for people right at this time. Do, um, did you? Is the model always, in your experience, was it always the workers who were there become the owners, or were there, was there ever an injection of other talent that would become part of the mix? No, there, um, not that I had seen. There was no injection of other talent. And it's, I, I appreciate that you brought that up because I, I mentioned it, um, it, it. You mentioned that the example of your friend who owned the restaurant, you know, if you turn it over to his workers, they would have to probably work for way less, and it would still end up closing. Um, the reality that we saw in some of these cooperatives is that the people, the cooperative, the co-ops that are still functioning, people are earning a lot less than they should be earning, um, as you said. Um, and I just, I, the, the labor market piece of it has to be there. There has to be a way to find a pool of employees that, you know, will have the, that set of skills, but also who can um, function at, at low pay while businesses work through the growing period. What, what were some of the most common reasons once a deal got to, to you at your point in the process that you ended up, you know, basically um, advising that it probably was a no-go? Well, you, you talked about the lack of systems. Was it all financial reporting or were there other things that, that uh, derailed these deals? Got it. So uh, what's derailed the deals? The first thing I would say is expectations. Obviously, you know, we had some owners wanting to sell. One fellow was terminally, not terminally ill, but he had a very serious illness and wanted to sell and he wanted to sell at a certain price. And once we got in and looked at the operations and the books and records, it was like, well, we can't support purchasing at this price. 
And so just managing that expectation between like, and I guess any person who's worked in brokerage would know this managing expectation between we want to sell right now at this price and here's what's actually feasible. So, um, so there's the expectation on sale price that tripped up the deal. Um, the lack of systems. Um, I think the, the, the lack of adequate preparation. I worked for a CDFI. We wanted to do both the lending and the technical assistance, but I do think that those functions maybe need to be broken up because you really, if you're going to lend and lend responsibly and in a way that you're going to actually have a repayment rate, um, you want to focus on the loan products you're providing and how you're structuring the terms, right? Um, and the technical assistance is a whole other animal, you know, if you, you know, and that's going to vary by industry, how you prepare workers to, to, um, run an organization. So, um, financials, lack of systems in place, managing expectations of the sellers, um, other things I would mention are like things like capital management. You know, if, if you're buying into a co-op at a certain amount, who's tracking capital? Like what, you know, if somebody wants to leave, how does that work? You know, so the, just... All of those different moving parts, I think, were um, maybe challenges that we saw along the way. Well, and that was one of the questions that I asked Finn: is if you, if you're a worker and you buy in and you put in a thousand bucks, let's say, and then the business grows and changes over time, then, then how do you understand what is then coming back to you, right? Or is your is your buy-in just kind of left there for future workers to enjoy, you know? And and, and if that's the case. Does that capital become more like a membership fee? So it's, I'm thinking lower lower number versus like a real capital injection that a bunch of partners would have if they were going to start a firm, right? You know, here's our, our operating capital or something like this. Um, you, you know, it's interesting how you talk about the the financial and the advisory together. Um, there's a there's a big bank here in Canada. And they're they're actually a government-owned entity, business development bank, and they actually have a lending side and an advisory side, and they quite often link the two. So, you want to do this? You want to get this money to buy this machine? Well, you're going to have to also get some consulting services and things to make sure that the programs and things are in place so that you can not lose our money. Got it. So there is a function where you can have those two things linked and have it work well. It sounds like. Yeah, well, and, 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 then, and then they they also lend money to people so they can afford the consulting. And so right. it's, it's kind of, it all goes together in their business. Um, but I, 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 think it's, I think it's interesting what, what, uh, what you saw. Um, now, as far as the, the brokers and the way the deals are represented, how accurate did you guys find that i mean things being overpriced i understand but was there a lot of uh due diligence work that you did where you found that things just weren't at all what they were presented as initially absolutely absolutely and i think it just that's when i found your videos this summer and every time you hit on those topics i was like he's exactly right i came to appreciate that you know brokers are there to do the sale um but you know, there's a lot of stuff behind that that maybe they won't spend a lot of time on. So yeah, there there were, there was one rather large company that, um, you know, they wanted, I won't say they wanted a ton, but they wanted a hefty sum for the business. But we got in there and realized they had, uh, they they were a, a tiling company. They had no agreements with suppliers. We asked them. We said, okay, well, where are the contracts? They said, well, well, they're all verbal. Okay, well, when we turn this over to the to the workers. 
how's this going to go? Like how we have no way of knowing whether the suppliers will no longer want to work with you or whether they will honor the same terms. So things like that. And like, I guess like key customer risk where you just have one main customer that, that uh, provides the revenue and then no diversity in that. You know, the tiling company that we were looking at, when you walk down that street where they had their storefront, um, there were lots of other tiling companies. So how do we keep these guys cooperative and competitive? Um, you know, and with good relationships with suppliers, like the, those kinds of things are challenging. And those are things you can't see when a broker approaches you with just the one cheater of, you know, showing what the EBITDA is. Um, yeah. That so is. you eventually left that yes. position. Yeah. And so, so what was the big motivator for Jasmine to, to exit? Sure. So I, my background's really heavy in finance. And so I, I think I was really approaching these deals with a fine tooth comb and really with the conscience of, I don't feel comfortable based on what I'm seeing, pushing this into the hands of a worker, um, the way that it feels like we're trying to do. And um, I think that, you know, that piece of it was a challenge. And, and so I, I love the, the cooperative, the worker owned cooperative movement, but it, I think um, it's sometimes the socialist piece of it, there's really a drive for that, like, let's do good. Um, mm. And I, I think I just um, maybe there was just a bit of friction there. And when I left, I said, I'm still interested in this space. So uh, I'm going to continue learning about how to serve this market. So you, you know, from your background and your mindset, you were kind of looking at the deal almost sort of representing the investment interest of the worker versus the Correct. idea that, hey, I'm going to have a job. You're like, well, is this a smart move for you as a group to actually buy this thing? Right. And it, it, more often than not, it wasn't about, sorry, I think you were about to say something. <laughs> um, more often than not, I think it wasn't about like, oh, you shouldn't do this. It's just like, oh, maybe if we wait a year and really work through these key pain points to really get you set up, at least to be in a better position than if you were to transition now. Um, that was more my angle is like, we don't have to rush this now. Like, let's, let's position you guys. Cause these are real livelihoods. These are real people who have families. They have their own lives to take care of. The last thing you need to do is be worrying about a business that was already, you know, not doing as well as you thought to be in your hand. What, what sort of devices did, uh, did you guys use to make these loans? So would you be taking a secured position like a normal bank would, or how was there any plan B if, if the business failed? as far as the lender was concerned, to recoup some of the capital? Yeah, that's a great question. I think, um, I think a lot of what we did were asset, asset purchase agreements. Mm -hmm. And so maybe if the businesses failed, I think we would just assume the assets. And I, I don't really know what, uh, what the course of action would be after that. And where, where did the money come from initially? Um, from our organization? And that I actually don't know. That was pretty opaque. We were a small team, but that was, uh, that's still a mystery to the, the team to this day. Okay. So I was just curious if it was like, um, you know, from, from a government grant or if it was people had donated uh, money or something like this. I want to say the, the leadership of our organization, I don't know what, uh, what wealth sits there. And I don't, I don't know if it was uh, related to like government grants. I don't think it was. And I, I very candidly, I'll say this. I went to my, the person I reported to and I say, Hey, listen, I don't know if you're sitting on a pile of cash to just be throwing out at deals that may or may not function well. Um, 
but I, I think I'm under the impression that it's maybe just concentrated wealth and people trying to do the right thing. Mm. Um, but it's going to be interesting as, you know, you know, once you gain CDFI status, I don't know what money will start to come in from the government. It'll be interesting to see, you know, what, uh, what, what care is being taken. And, and for, for viewers who don't know that the CDFI status stands for community development. Financial institution. Yes. Financial institution. Okay. So, so it gives them a certain status. Um, and what kind what sort of doors does it open once the status is granted? Uh, that's a great question, and I, I actually don't know the the detail about that. I assume it just makes you maybe more eligible. Like if 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 the state of New York says we want to support these initiatives, and we're going to, I don't know, I don't know if they'll give grants to CDFIs to make these loans. I don't know, but I assume it's for those purposes. So, sorry. <laughs> so, Jasmine, <laughs> you've heard me talk on this channel before about different topics. Uh, to both buyers and sellers about things that that sellers should be doing in their business to help make it more saleable. If a business owner really, you know, has this idea, I would really like to pass this on to my employees. What different things could that person be doing or, or what should be even more important to that business owner to make sure that if there's an employee handover and it got through to a due diligence, you know, got through to someone like you, that it would be able to pass through the process. It would, would it be much different from what a seller would normally do just to get through the process with any buyer? Got it. Um, I want to make sure I understand your question. You're saying what would be my advice to a, to a business owner looking to sell? Looking um, to either sell to their employees, yeah. Got it. I would say treat that the same way you would treat, um, treat a sale to a, a, someone you'd you know, you'd sell on the market. You, I just think you'd want to take the same amount of care. And I'm not trying to be a total suck up, but I, I, I can't remember your website, but you have a website and it's kind of, it's got like a list of all the things business owners can do. Standardize your processes. Um, before you get to due diligence, you know, what's included in due diligence? That mm -hmm. list is out there. Make sure you're ready. Take yourself through a dry run of it. Um, review your contracts, and all, you know, all those things. Yeah, I, I think you're talking about the the ebook I have, Twelve Things to Do Before You Consider Selling, and it's yeah. just kind of a, a rundown of things that you have to be on top of. And, yeah. and so, um, would would you you know sometimes when people are getting ready to sell a business, they will start behaving differently as owners. They'll start to you know defer things that they think they can defer an expense and it won't really harm the operations. They'll start to do that. The, the difference in a handover to, to the workers in the business, of course, is that the buyers are present there every day. So they would see all of this stuff. So right. do you think that these things would happen more successfully if it was more of a transition over time versus sort yeah. of a sale, maybe with a little bit of a training period and then the departure of the sun? I think so. I think so. Definitely there's a transition over time. But I, my, my question to you, I guess, is like, how could you, how do you manage a transition? Um, like, how do you manage that, I guess, interpersonally with the team to, to get them prepared? Because you have some folks who will want to buy in and become owners, but you'll have some other folks who will say, oh, no, as soon as this thing converts, I want to get out of here. And they may be key people that you still need. Yeah. I wonder how, how do you socialize that with people? Because you do need to educate the workers on what to look for. 
like you said, you know, business owners may defer things. We have to educate them on what to look for. Well, you know, in, in my own personal experience, I've never been a part of one of these types of deals, like the ones that Finn was describing. Um, I have been involved in a lot of deals where the buyers were employees, but it wasn't all of them together. It was one or two or maybe a small handful, you know, created, you know, quote unquote partnership. I mean, they used a, a corporate structure, but you know, a few of them went together and then they were going to be the owners and the other employees were going to carry on being employees. And so those people who were sticking their neck out to acquire the business, they were going to take on all the normal things that any business buyer was going to do. You know, they were putting personal guarantees on loans and maybe remortgaging their homes to get money and things like that. So the, you know, the motivation to develop the skills and learn how to run things is that if I don't do this, I'm going to have a lot to lose. Right. And in my own experience with uh, cooperatives as a consumer, because I've been a member of a cooperative grocery store before, which failed. And I've seen cooperatives in the oil distribution space and the feed distribution space. And, and if the owners don't seem to have a, a big vested interest in what's going on, what I see that tends to happen is that management starts making decisions for management's benefit. They start acting like the owners and the, the profit or, you know, that would normally go to an owner just ends up in, you know, fatter compensation packages for these managers. Right. And, and, and then um, if somebody hasn't invested a lot, so if you've got one worker who joins the, the worker cooperative and they've been there for a year and they've earned some wages and they don't think things are being run properly, they don't really have anything to lose. So they just go find a new job. Right. You, you don't have that vested interest that an owner typically has to, Oh geez, I got to fix these problems because I borrowed against my house to buy the business. Right. Right. And I don't want to lose my house or whatever. Right. So it's, so I, that's my own, my own feedback. Um, I was really curious to hear what you had to say because I, because again, I don't have a lot of experience with this. And yeah. so I'm really happy that you reached out. Thank you. I, I would say, I think we focus more on like when we were working to transition the workers, we maybe focus on the management of the thing of like who will make what decisions. Um, but in terms of, you know, really getting people to feel like they have skin in the game, I, I, I maybe there's some space to develop the programming, to develop the, the training that um, organizations like the one I work for would impart. Hmm. I think and so what did, you, what did you move on to? Are you still involved in that not-for-profit space? No, I actually, I, I said, you know, not-for-profit is, it's a bit of, I'm, I'm, I'm very straightforward finance and I, I can't do like soft, fluffy speak and when it comes to business and handing things over, I don't have time to, yeah, so, um, so right now I'm, I'm moving more into like a freelance space and I'm kind of just individually helping uh, businesses, you know, prepare themselves. Yeah. Cool. Well, Jasmine, thank you very much. Enjoy the rest of the time down in Brazil. And uh, I want to thank you again for reaching out and sharing your story. Thank you, Dave. Thanks for your time.